uh, if you don't know me, I'm Malcolm. I work with Master Plan Ministries. Uh, it's a campus ministry, and uh, I am very glad to, to be here. And also, uh, this is not my strength, uh, but part of what we're going to talk about today, uh, God asked me to do something, and I went, okay, here I am, God. Uh, send me. So, um, uh, before we get into it, um, uh, last week, if you guys remember, Jaron talked about uh, going through the gospel. What is the gospel? Um, what does it do and how does it impact our lives, right? Um, it should directly influence how we see the world and therefore go and actually do something. Um, so we're going to continue on going through Acts today. I'm going to pick up where Dron left off um, in Acts 14. So we're going to be there. Um, and I'm going to read chapter 14, 8 through 23. But before we do that, I really just need to pray. So Jesus, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you that you're good um, and that you love us. God, I pray that you would get me out of the way and you would speak your words, and that these people would hear from you, um, that you would impact their lives and it would change how they see themselves um, and the people around them. God, uh, we just love you and we're so grateful to be here. Thank you and praise you. Amen. All right. So, Acts 14, 8 through 23, says this, In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw they had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas, and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. 
and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. All right. When you read this passage, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Mine, for like the first four times I read through this, I was like, man, that sucks. Like, Paul did the right thing. He just followed God, and he gets stoned, right? And so I'm sitting there going, how am I going to talk about this? What am I going to say? Don't get stoned, right? <laughs> right? All right, we're good. Let's pray, right? I'm going, what are you trying to tell me here, God? And because I, I could only see this, like, man, God does this miracle, heals this dude. It's like this euphoric moment. Yay, everything's going to go great. And then in like a moment, flip-flops, and he's getting stoned. And I'm so bothered by that. I'm sitting there going, what is this? And God goes, why are you so bothered by that, Malcolm? Why does that repulse you? What's such a big deal about that? And I realize God, uh, I, was, I didn't like the fact that God would do a miracle, and then right after that, the guy who he used to do that miracle would get literally, some people think he actually died, and God raised him, right? Either way, he, he was very near death, um, But what God showed me was, are you willing to be that person? Are you willing to go even if it doesn't go well for you? Even if you get stoned? Um, so today, uh, I'm, I don't think I'm the only one that thinks like that, that has real genuine fears if I actually, truly follow Jesus the way he asked me to, he's going to send me to that place. He's going to make me talk to that person. And whether or not we want to admit it or not, we're afraid of what those people will think, of what they will react to us. And honestly, if, if I'm honest, I want... When I follow God, it to go well, right? Don't we? Nobody wants to have horrible situations in their lives, right? So today, I think this passage wants to show us uh, what we're actually fearing, and uh, it, we want. I want to look at the this passage through the lens of what is fear and why, and who are we fearing? Um. Just a so what is fear anyways? Uh, in the summers, we do this project called Crush Fear. Um, and we use some acronyms. Not really an acronym guy, um, but this one makes sense to me. Uh, so fear is uh, false evidence appearing real. And this makes a lot of sense in a lot of the areas of our life. Things that want to be true but aren't actually true take over and control us, right? 
Um, but for this passage, uh, I, I came up with another acronym to really help us understand there's, there's two different sides of fear. There's false evidence that's appearing real, and then there's foundational evidence that activates a response. In other words, what we truly fear or think is reality dictates how we respond in any given situation, especially when circumstances don't pan out for us. When they get tough, uh, what we really actually believe about God and about ourselves and people comes, comes out. So we're going to look at uh, five different reactions of, of different types of people in this passage and how their foundational evidence dictates or activates their responses. Um, so let's start looking at this passage again. We're going to go back to eight, verses 8 again. And... Uh, To read uh, how uh, the, the crippled man responds to Paul and to God. But before that, I just want to, to put an, an overarching understanding. The reason why Paul and Barnabas and this situation happens is because they're actively outgoing. They're not sitting on their couches. God is using them because they're willing. Um, because often, uh, as Christians, we think, well, nothing's happened real bad to me. Not a lot, right? Talk to lots of students sometimes uh, that they're either going through nothing or their life sucks. And they can't quite figure out why. But I think as a Christian, right, if we get the response that's poor, because I'm actively going, it's such a good thing. Because if I'm really truly following Christ, it really bothers the devil. He has, wants nothing to do with that. Um, so, as we view all of these situations and these people, think through the lens of, this is happening because they're going. Are you? Um, so, verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way for birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Um, so, what are the foundational evidences that this guy actually believes about God. He was presented truth. He heard it. He understood it. And he acted on it. Without these foundational truths, he would have never stood up. He would have went, uh-huh, nice, Paul. My legs, I haven't, I haven't walked ever. But what he believed about God was that he was real, that he was powerful. He could actually heal him. He could actually 
he actually cared about him personally, individually, and that he actually wanted to do something in his life. I think often I find myself going, yeah, God really loves people. God really wants to act in other people's life, but not mine. I find myself going, oh, yeah, he, he's all these things, but one thing. <laughs> and what happens is when he asks me to do something, I go, ah, maybe, okay. So who did this man actually fear? He feared God, right? Because uh, side note on, on miracles, right? If you're anything like me, in America, we think, oh, man, if, if God shows up and heals somebody, if God does this big miracle, man, everyone is going to come to Christ, right? Everyone's going to see him and love him and respond perfectly to him. But that's just not reality. And we'll see here in a second. Um in the crowd's response. So let's read verse 11. When the crowd saw when, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And let's jump to verse 19. Then some Jews from the Antioch and Iconium uh, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. All right. So back to this miracle. What did it do to these people? It just revealed their superstition. It revealed the fact that they wanted to please what they knew. And what they knew was Zeus, because Zeus's temple was right, side out, right outside the city. And um, as I was reading commentary, multiple of them talked about the fact that there was a, a rumor in the city that uh, Zeus and another god had come down, and the whole people in the city had responded poorly to them. They didn't bless them, except for this one couple, this old couple, and the, the result of that was Zeus made this couple as a, like, a congratulatory, like, um, gift to them, two trees outside of the temple gates as, like, protectors, um, which, to me, makes no sense. I don't want to be a tree, <laughs> but to them, there's this They want to please their God. They want to be honored instead of shamed, right? I'm sure the priest of Zeus continually reminded them, you guys aren't fully going for it. You're not honoring Zeus enough, right? You're not giving enough to Zeus. So when they have another chance to, to honor their God, what do they do? How quickly do they jump on it? 
pretty fast, right? They go, ooh, awesome, I'm going to be a tree. I'm sure they're not thinking that, but that's what I think. <laughs> um, do you think most of the people in the crowd, though, do you think they had good intentions or bad intentions? They were good, right? I don't think most people thought, hey, today I'm going to stone some guy, right? They didn't go, woo, like, we love murdering people. Um, but the reality is their worldview review, revealed their foundational evidence was not based in anything, right? It was based in whoever is loudest, right? Because the second they realized Paul and Barnabas weren't gods, what happened? They're free to be influenced by the next loudest voice. And so when the Jews come and they say, those people are evil, they're not gods, they're evil, kill them, they went, oh, okay, sure, that sounds good, you're loud, that sounds like a good plan, right? So in essence, they lived a life of following. They blindly followed whoever was boldest, loudest, strongest, influential, and most often that leads us away from the truth. And sadly, right, we do things and say things in groups that we would never do or say when we're by ourselves. And often in our, in our culture, we don't do things in huge, large groups, right? But how do, how do we do on, online? How do we do when we're commenting? Do we tear people down? Do we build them up? How do we react? Do we follow the, the next thing on the news, whatever they say? Are we questioning that? Because um, it's really, really easy to just go with the crowd, right? Feels good. You're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to be the one getting stoned, right? Or ridiculed or thrown over, overboard. Um, but God doesn't want us to just blindly follow. So let's look at Paul and Barnabas' response. Let's go to verse 14. says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain, from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I'm sure when Paul heard from God, asked this dude to get up, he was not thinking 
this is going to happen to him. He's going, great, this guy heard the gospel, right? He's responding to it. He understands that the, the bigger miracle is his sins being forgiven. It's much harder for God, relatively it's not hard for him, but for him to forgive all of that dude's sins, past, present, and future, than it is for him to say, get up and heal some legs. This dude understood that I should respond to the gospel, and he stood up, right? Paul and Barnabas going, sweet, this is going to be a good day. Lots of people are going to come to Christ, right? Little did they know. Um, but they had this opportunity, right? When they realized that the crowd is about to sacrifice to them, that they're gods, do you think they had a lot of influence at that moment? They could have said whatever they wanted, right? They could have manipulated them into saying, you're going to follow Jesus. He's this God above me, you know, or whatever. What was their first initial response? The second they realized, oh, wait, they see us as gods, they tore their clothes, which for a Jew meant, this is blasphemy. Stop. Don't do this, right? Because that's what the high priest does when, when Jesus claims to be God, right? Rips his clothes and says, this is all we need. You've heard it. Blaspheming, right? Their natural response was to defend God's honor. Not to manipulate the people in front of them. So, if we go to 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, it shows their heart, what they're actually doing here. It says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, they could have continued to use this fickle crowd to be the next loudest voice. They could have won the whole city to the Lord. But they didn't want to do it cheaply. They wanted to do it in truth. They wanted everyone to come to Christ, but they were not willing to take shortcuts, even at the cost of their lives. So are we willing to stand up for the truth no matter the cost? Even if it gets us ridiculed, even if it loses a friend, are we willing to do that? Sadly, we have to, to move on to how the Jews respond, right? Um, in verse 19, it says this, Then some Jews came from Antioch in Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city, thinking he was dead. I really wish we didn't have to talk about this, right? These are Jews. They should know God, right? 
They should be on the same team. They should be building Paul and Barnabas up. But what the reality is, Paul and Barnabas was poking at their worldview. The foundation of their, the foundational evidence that they acted out was that Paul and Barnabas were not helping God. And they did the exact same thing that Paul did, right? Paul was going, yeah, I understand this because I was doing it, right? When he was persecuting the church, he truly believed that he was defending God's honor, right? And that made them act. Ironically, in their defense of God's honor, they were willing to break God's laws and murder the perpetrator of their worldview, thus bringing dishonor to themselves and God. It's really interesting how the devil takes good things about God and makes it the thing. And in the process, we drop God himself. We make something God has made into God. We take an attribute of God, and we make it God. And when we do this, we must defend our little God with all we have. Because it, for us, is worth defending, right? And sadly, this happens in the church. We take a truth about God that's really good, and we make it more than it should be. And then we try to conform the other people around us into that same image. And when that doesn't work, when they won't conform, it justifies us treating them poorly, justifies us talking about them behind their backs, justifies us being angry with them, jealous, gossiping, all ignoring the fact that we're on the same team, we're loved by the same God, we're just as sinful as them, and we need the same Savior. In Romans 14.4, it says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So when we make anything but the gospel and what he actually says in his word bigger than him and the gospel, we're going to end up making his own, your own brother and sisters, your own enemies. And the devil goes, whoo, yes, another victory for me. Because the reality is when we do that, we stop. We stop going. And we start eating each other. And there's people outside of this church, these people, this body, that desperately need to know and hear that he loves them. He wants to forgive them of their sins. So, as we move on to the disciples, how do they respond? The people who had come to Christ already. 
in this town. In verse 20, it says this, But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So, these disciples, they responded out of love. They could have run. They could have been associated with Paul. Could have got stoned themselves. Instead, they drew near to him. They helped in his need. Could you imagine how, how many prayers are going down as they're circling Paul going, wow, that did not go well today. Jesus, we need you to show up. But how awesome it is when we come together and work together with people who are hurting and in need, especially in the church, God shows up and it encourages us greatly. It builds us up and it makes us want to go more, right? When I see somebody come alongside of me, build me up in my weakness, it instantly draws me there to Jesus and helps me realize, man, I feel like crap right now, but God is good. Look, <laughs> uh, Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. These disciples could have easily bailed, but they decided to draw near him. And ultimately, right, uh, I want to come back to Paul and Barnabas, right? Because their reaction isn't done yet, right? In verse 21 through 23, well, the end of 20, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Paul gets up. He doesn't quit. He doesn't back down doesn't go and run. He walks back into the city and he keeps doing what God has called him to do. And the result of that, they go to the next city and what does God do? It says they won a great number of disciples. They're willing to let God use them in the good, the bad, or the ugly. And then on top of that, they, they come back to Iconium again, or to Lystra, sorry, again, even though they could get stoned, could get killed. And what are they doing? They love the church. They're building them up. And in fact, they assign elders, right? They, which is crazy, if you think about it. They only know these people for a few years, like at most a couple months, right? And they're going through and going, okay, here you go, right? Art, uh, Eric, you're on it. You're leading this church now, right? 
They only knew them for a couple months. Who are they really trusting this church to? To Jesus, right? Back to that. Whose servant are they? They're not Paul's servant. They're not Barnabas's servant. They're Jesus Christ's servant, and he will make them stand, right? Because from our perspective, from my perspective, interacting with people when they first come to, to Jesus, <laughs> there's some crazy ups and downs, right? But Paul is going, God's bigger than this. It's his church, and he's going to make it stand. Are we willing to let him do that? Are we willing to do whatever Christ puts in front of us, even if it hurts? Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So when you think about your life circumstances, especially if they go wrong, they don't go the way you want them to, you find yourself acting like the crippled man, the crowd you find yourself following. Are you acting like the apostles? Are you actively going, sharing the gospel? Are you acting like the Jews? Are you dying on a hill you should not die on? As we think through our lives, what's the foundational evidence that is acting or activating your responses? Is it Christ or is it something else? Because ultimately... Jesus has so much for you. He has so much that he wants to do with you. And often, we let what other people think of us dictate what we do next. And if we just take a second, step back and actually ask God, why Am I so afraid? What about you do I not trust? And how can I let go of it? Because he wants to reap a harvest through you. So are you going? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you so much that you're good, that you love us, that you show up and uh, you challenge us, but you're patient and kind with us. You don't leave us alone, but you empower us to do the things that you ask us to do. Pray that you would help us take a good look at our lives and be willing to let go of whatever you show to us. Put it in your hands and just take the next step towards you, Jesus. We just thank you and praise you. Yeah.